Well, hello, here we are again, um, and welcome to Passing the Bat on number 38, and it's the 26th of June 2010. The title of our teaching today is When Heaven Comes Down, and the subtitle is Stretch Out Your Hand, See, I Have Made You as God to Pharaoh. It's actually Spiritual Warfare Part 5, and Spiritual Warfare Part 6 I think will be coming in September this year, but we'll see as we go on. So let's pray, shall we? Father, I thank you. I thank you, you never give up on us. You're always patient with us, meeting us right where we are. But today, Father, can this be the day when we decide who we want to serve in this world? Who we want to have our total loyalty? Who we want to follow? We ask you to take us as a body of believers and elevate us to the place you had in mind for us before the foundation of the earth. We ask, Father, for an acceleration, a lavish deposit of yourself in each one of us, we're tired with mediocrity, Lord. We're tired of passivity and apathy, and we're rising up and waging war against them in our own hearts. We ask for an encounter with you like the one Joshua had with the captain of the host, that there might be a radical change in our hearts, that we might go up at least one level, that you will prepare our hearts for the richness of the fare you're about to place before us. And for me, Father, that my heart might be like a watercourse in your hand that you direct. That I am totally submitted and committed to your Holy Spirit. Draw us, Father, romance us, grant us acceleration and keep us there in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This session is about spiritual warfare, although you may not initially recognise this. We're continuing our quest into living an intentional lifestyle and recognizing that God is purposeful and intentional towards us and we are developing daily our intentionality towards him. Our aim is to match his fervor for us with ours for him. It's from this intentionality that we speak to him. David said, my heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed, Psalm 57, 7. Why do you think he said that? It was because God was whispering to him, My heart is fixed towards you, Dave. My heart is fixed on you. And we can only give back to God what he's given us. Therefore we must learn to receive from him all that heaven will allow and give it away. As I've said before, it's time for us to stop being casual about the kingdom. There are no casual friends in the kingdom. You are a friend of God through faithfulness, nothing else. Time wasted is time lost forever. We're in a battle. This is the real thing. This is not manoeuvres. We get one shot at this and we have eternity to wish we put our heart and soul into our Christian walk. Nothing is more important at this time than allowing the Christ life to be formed in you. It is that and that alone which will affect and influence those around you for good. We die that they might have life. Looking away to God from ourselves is essential and is the key to living an intentional lifestyle before him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.12, NASB, New American Standard Bible, unless I tell you something different. So death works in us, but life in you. There is an acceleration according to God's intention towards us. Everything he has ever done has been to one end, to provide a bride for his son, an eternal companion for his beloved son, one who will love him and be abandoned to him and his agenda for their lives. You are the glorious companion of an incredible king. You are destined to share his throne. What if he is waiting for your response today? He waits, you know, for our response to him. Don't keep him waiting. Sometimes when you can't hear from him, it's because he's waiting for you to make the first move. 
We need to choose to live a life here on earth where we are bound and determined to waste our lives on Jesus. Where we come to the place of saying yes to whatever he wants for our lives. That we think like him, we speak like him. We have the divine DNA within us. We're bought at a price. We belong to him. 1 Corinthians 3 21 to 23 so then let no one boast in men for all things belong to you whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God double wrapped you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God loving intimacy is his sole intention the purpose of the bride is to become the beloved of the Most High God. We're learning that we're joint heirs and a joint heir can't work alone. They can only act in partnership with another. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. Speed is critical for us at this point. We are behind the times of our own development. Not one of us hand on heart can say that we are where we should be. It's time for our intention to catch up with our desire. Time to put into practice the things we say we believe. To live a life less ordinary. This kind of intimacy with God is warfare. Desiring Him is warfare. Worship is warfare. Asking for His will to be done is warfare. Intercession, prayer is warfare. It's warfare at the highest level because the enemy will not enter the throne room. That is our privilege as children of God, to have an audience with the king in prayer. To discover what's on his heart and pray it down onto the earth. Your Christian walk will only be as strong as your intimate relationship with God. It will only be as strong as your prayer life. Because the number one sign of relationship in the Spirit is that we speak like God and we think like God because we've been in the presence of God and have the mind of Christ. The journey we are on is into the heart of God. You neglect your prayer life at your peril. We're learning to stay connected to Him 24-7. That's one of the purposes of the indwelling Holy Spirit, to teach you and to keep you in the place that Father has put you, in Christ. In that place he will shelter you. He will be your refuge and help. Jesus is the embodiment of favour and the fact that you are in him guarantees your favour with the Father. It guarantees that Father is so biased towards you and hears you when you speak to him. It guarantees your fruitfulness. The world is in survival mode. We are not. The enemy has a budget. God has abundance. Heaven is not in recession. Exodus 7.1 in the New International Version Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. In his limited experience, God says to Moses, Pharaoh will think you are some kind of God in human form by the time you and I have finished with him. Mo, all you need to do is stretch out your hand and I'll do the rest. God has not changed. He's inclined towards us. He bows down his ear towards us. His favour is upon us and he calls us into partnership with him. Because from our place of favour we are meant to do the things he did and greater things. He wants to display his supernatural power and his loving kindness to all those around us. To do that we must partner with him in everything and know how to live as the beloved. The life of Christ in us sets us free to be loved fully by heaven and to participate in all that heaven would release into the earth. When the angels heralded Jesus' birth, they said, Peace on earth. The Prince of Peace has come. Good tidings of great joy to all mankind. Beloved, we are the window that heaven wants to open. 
This world is not going to experience goodness, kindness, love and mercy unless and until we begin to release it on the earth through who we are, the beloved of God. We are so secure. Everything is taken care of for eternity. What's the problem? The problem is we lack the courage of our own convictions. We don't know, we're not sure if we are truly love and loved and accepted to the point of delirium. We don't know, we're not sure, we're afraid of making a fool of ourselves. We don't know power is available to us, that he will meet us. We're in a paralysis of analysis. The enemy has taken us captive to do his will. God is delirious about us. He's delirious about you. You are your own revival. You just need to step out into it. Revival is not hundreds and thousands of people getting saved. It's about the church coming back to that place, that high place where she should live, where everything is subject to her and no one is safe from a blessing. Imagine companies of people spread abroad throughout the earth each company living in the way God wants them to live. If that happened, the world would overflow with their abundance. You will ask what you will, and it will be done for you. Heaven coming down on earth as it is in heaven. So you're with someone you don't know, a complete stranger in the supermarket queue. You see pain and fear in their eyes. What are you doing? Connected to your source 24-7, you're silently asking him to touch them, to bless them, to lift that fear off them, and you watch them change before your eyes. Beloved, this is what we're here for. Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. God answers that silent prayer. He wants to touch that person with his love, grace, and power. Fruitfulness is guaranteed. Christ in you, the confident expectation of something glorious happen, happening. And it does. Try it sometime. Get your eyes off yourself and onto the hurting world around you. People are ripe for the gospel. They're desperate out there. So just what is the gospel according to you? You can make a difference. Stop waiting for something to happen at church on Sunday. You are church. You are filled with the power of the risen Christ. Move out in it. Stretch out your hands, literally or spiritually, and watch him meet you. This is kingdom stuff. This is what Christ came proclaiming. The kingdom, not in word but in power. He did not come proclaiming go to church on Sunday and become a consumer. In the natural, the pear tree doesn't say, no, I don't want that sap rising, I'm not having that life, I refuse to bear fruit. When it's connected to the tree, the branch cannot resist the power of the life within it. It's got no choice about bearing fruit. What if that's you? You have no choice but to be fruitful. You're in Christ, he's in you. What fruit is it that the vine wants to bear through you? Who is it he wants to touch through you? What if our real power in the church isn't about learning to receive, it's about learning to give? What if we've missed the power and astonishment of the gospel because it's so vast we can't see it? What if heaven is Harrods and we're shopping at the co-op? Exodus 9.22 Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand. By the time you and I have finished with him, Mo, he will think you are some kind of God. All you need to do is stretch out your hand, and I'll do the rest. God desires to bless those around us, and it will require our cooperation in order for the people to be touched both by the power and presence of God. It's a challenge to every one of us. I speak to myself. We need to learn to think beyond what is possible and move into the impossible, the amazing, the astonishing, beyond what's normal, because he's able to do far more abundantly above that which we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us.
Ephesians 2.20 Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. How often have we selfishly taken such promises to ourselves and grown fat on them rather than giving them away? God's a giver. You can't outgive him. We're on the earth at this time to take what he gives us and give it away freely. Matthew 10, 8 to 10 in the message. This really says it sometimes. Don't begin by travelling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighbourhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You've been treated generously, so live generously. Brilliant. Everything comes from him and goes back to him. Life in the spirit is a circle. From him and to him and through him. Romans 11.36 You're just a part of that circle. And if we pray anything according to his will, we know that we have what we've asked for. 1 John 5.14 This is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we take our place before the throne, we can find out what God wants to do in our street, our town, our nation, and ask him to do it. He doesn't want your ability, beloved. He wants your availability. It's not after your talents. It's after your time. Father, what do you want to do here? Sometimes a silent prayer is enough. Face it, guys. We are the agent God uses to bring his kingdom to earth. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. On earth as it is in heaven. But it won't come unless we ask. Matthew 6, 9-13 Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. <coughs> pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. That's about forgiveness. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. It's true to say, is it not, that millions of believers have prayed that prayer over the years with absolutely no expectation of it being answered. Even more people have prayed, Thy will be done, with absolutely no intention whatsoever of either understanding or doing His will. The truth is that knowing and doing the will of God is the one central theme that should dominate the life of every born-again child of God. That's why Jesus put it at the very heart of the prayer he taught his disciples when they asked him how they should pray. Knowing and doing the will of God is absolutely essential to spiritual strength and vitality. Find out where God is working and join him. The basic difference between a vibrant Christian and a nominal Christian is whether or not the Spirit of God controls their life. Rhys Howells was an intercessor of the 20th century and he was told by the Holy Spirit, if I come in Rhys, you go out. And he gave a time limit for Rhys to respond. I think it was six o'clock one evening. It came to a minute to six and Rhys was sweating with the conflict of knowing that if the Holy Spirit came in, he would have to go out. He would have to give up everything that the world holds dear. Then the Holy Spirit whispered, Do you need some help? Are you willing to be made willing? Dumbly, Reese nodded. 
and at six o'clock he let go and was gloriously filled. His life was no longer his own, there was only one life to be lived, Christ's through him. You cannot outgive God. Mark eight thirty five and 36 For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What's he asking you today? Are you willing to be made willing? What's he asking you to give up that he may live his life through you? Abandonment. You could come in here today a believer and go out a disciple. God had a purpose for this man's life. He has a purpose for yours. Reese Howell's purpose was to save this nation of ours from enemy occupation. The intercession of Reese and a few friends turned away the invasion of our shores. We wouldn't be free today without his prayers and those of others who were like-minded who gave the Lord what he asked for when he asked for it. When God calls you, he is intentional. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. That plan may or may not involve the future of this or other countries, but it will be a high plan, a big plan, much higher, much bigger than you could imagine, ask or think. So question number one today, and I've asked it before, who controls your life? Who is in the driving seat? You? Someone else? The devil? God? To whom do you give your allegiance? That is your loyalty, commitment, adherence and faithfulness. Who or what have you put in the place that God should occupy? Not a tough one. If you answer this question honestly, you'll find out exactly who is in control and what the wellspring of your life is. It's perfectly possible to have false loyalties to people, places, things. Do you have them or do they have you? Do you say to God, well, you understand, Lord, I have to put these people, these things first in my life, my husband, my wife, my children, my boss, because they won't understand. It wouldn't make you look very good in their eyes if I told them you'd asked me for so much. They might not like me or you come to that anymore. Your answer will show you where the source, the fountain, the wellspring of your life is and where your fear is and where your insecurity lies. So I ask you again, who or what controls you? Only you can answer that. It's probably true that a number of us who invited Christ into our lives by His Spirit are not truly aware of who it is that has established residence within us who it is that desires to be in the driving seat and the driving force of our lives. We've not realised at all that it is through us that the Kingdom of God will be made manifest on this earth. As we've seen in recent studies, this one is royalty, this one is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he has come to establish his Kingdom in us and then through us. Beloved, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. I owe, I owe a debt of gratitude so great for that sacrifice. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. What I'm speaking about today is what used to be called the deeper life. 
Sooner or later God will ask you if you really want to echo the hymn writer in saying, All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him, in his presence daily live. The exchanged life, his life for yours. When we cling to the things of this world, having no conception of eternity and the shortness of the hour, we will not rise to the place of glory which is ours. I am persuaded that the more Christ-like we become, the greater will be the backing of heaven. But as always, the choice is ours. The more we become a redemptive society, the more hope we have to see our nation turn back to God. We're God's instruments on the earth for good. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, we're inviting a clash of kingdoms and a clash of wills. Confrontation will follow a sincere request to enjoy the benefits of His kingdom in our lives. It will come if we want to see heaven come down. From being self-centred in determining and planning our own destinies, we'll find that we're required to bow the knee to the higher purposes of God in our lives. There may be things we're required to abandon for Jesus' sake, habits that we need to break, relationships we need to let go. One of the greatest hindrances to the work of God in our nearest and dearest is our predisposition towards being an amateur providence. To take the place of God and say like Peter, forbid it, Lord. In other words, interfering with the work of God in the life of another. This is so real, man's hands on the work of God, and it's a killer. Ask Uzzah. 2 Samuel 6, 6 and 7 in the NIV. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Getting our hands on the things of God kills something. Letting God's hand come upon us kills something too. He always kills that which will prevent us from taking the next step in our relationship with him. God and the devil both have the same agenda. They both want to kill you. The enemy seeks to destroy you, but godly death works for your good. God is father-mother. We need to understand that the mothering side of God is the nurturing side, and the fathering side of God can be the disciplinary side. We need both. He's not always giving you sweeties and good things. Sometimes he wants you to shape up. God doesn't take things away because he's capricious or whimsical or because he wants to deny you good things, but because they're hindering you <clears throat> in your relationship with him. They're killing things in your spirit because your soul is clinging to this life. He's always holding out a replacement. Give me this so that I can give you that. What he's asking for is damaging to your spiritual welfare. Life in the spirit is about displacement, beloved, a divine exchange. And he is redemptive in everything he does. If you give him your rubbish, he will give you something of himself. It's, it's a no-brainer. So the question before us today, as it always is, is are we willing to relinquish rule of our own lives, to give up governing our own affairs, to give up making our own decisions as best fits our desires, in order to allow God by his Holy Spirit to have dominion and decide for us what we should do. In other words, to abandon ourselves to the King. Are we really prepared to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, and mean it? Whatever the cost or the consequences, wherever it may take us, whatever may be the temporal loss for eternal gain. Are we really prepared to allow heaven to come to earth?
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven send revival and start with me please Lord the old-fashioned word of what we're talking about is commitment dedication devotion loyalty promise pledge vow commitment is of the heart everything but everything is about the heart the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart your grateful heart relationship with the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit 2 Chronicles 16:9 in the Amplified says this for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are blameless towards him this doesn't mean that you are perfect and sinless this means that your heart really is turned towards him in spite of the conflict and difficulty of letting go of what he's asking all he asks is our turning of our hearts our willingness to be made willing he understands the stuff of which we're made and it's something that takes place between you and the Father. It is not something that can be extracted from you by pressure. This is an issue of the heart and it's voluntary. Give me this because I want to give you that. God will not love you any the less, whatever you choose. It's just that you are the one who loses out in the end. It's all about measuring this life in the light of eternity. Commitment then, beloved, is who you are in yourself. It's how you choose to show up, to turn up every day, all day, in the kingdom. Commitment is who I am, not what I do. And I want to be the best expression of Jesus that I can be in the limited time at my disposal. That means I'll have to allow God's scrutiny over my life, learn to enjoy it, to revel in it, because I'm becoming more like him and I want to cooperate with him it means when he asks me for something I willingly give it sometimes when he looks at you you know you can see the secateurs behind his back take my word for it he's coming to prune you so commitment is how you show up relationally in heaven or on earth commitment is who you are in yourself do you say you'll do something and then back out do you overcommit yourself and back out with the things that God has given you to do because you filled it up with other things? Just a question. You don't choose your commitment. You're becoming it by your choices all day, every day. That's why examining our loyalties is so important because where your loyalty is is where your commitment will be. Your commitment, your fidelity, your devotion, your allegiance will be right there. Father only trusts whatever of the Son he sees clearly visible in us and you get to choose how you show up on any given day. Demonstrating your spirit, living in your spirit man, manifesting your spirit is concerned with revealing who you essentially are now in Jesus and what you are becoming. We're learning how to be the very best expression of who God made us to be in every situation. When we are who he wants us to be, we are in partnership with him and his purposes and we will begin to see heaven come down. Pharaoh will think you're some kind of God by the time you and I have finished with him, Mo. His kingdom is coming in our hearts and in our lives and it's showing forth for the world to see as he is in this world so are we the whole task of the enemy is to penetrate your thought life to paralyze you with fear about your situation if he can then he seeks to demoralize you to make you feel you're useless and your prayer makes no difference so why do it and finally he subverts your will once he has your will beloved he has you you will then be aligning yourself with his desires for your life not with father's desires and pleasure for your life it's your task 
with the aid of the Holy Spirit to see that you guard your thought life and the mandate God has given you in order that you're not diverted from his purposes for you and you become the very best that heaven will allow. I found 60 odd references to guard in the concordance. If the Lord says it that many times there must be a reason. Acts 20 20 to 34 now in the NIV. It's Paul, um, Paul talking to the leaders at Ephesus. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I've declared to both Jew and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none among you of whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Be on your guard. If ever there was a word in season, that is it. Be on your guard, and I would add, be ready to save from getting ready. As a quote from someone else, I'm always struck by the fact that the most pivotal places in history look so ordinary. Thin strips of sandy beach, grassy fields and small hills whose names become legendary after the smoke clears. But it's not the unique landscape that makes them memorable. It's the actions of those who fought to take and hold that ground. People rarely know they're making history when they make it. I think we are currently living in such a season in the church. It is a pivotal time where individuals and communities are choosing whether to continue with religion as they've always known it or contend for the kingdom to be on earth as it is in heaven. That is a quote from Graham Cook's new prayer director, contending for the kingdom to be on earth as it is in heaven. It's not going to be an easy fight, but then no fight worth winning is ever easy and the biggest obstacle you will have is yourself. It's not a fair fight either because all the resources of heaven are at our disposal as we partner with the King in his agenda. What will determine gain or loss is the position you personally decide you're going to adopt in the lineup. Are you willing to be in the front line or will you be at the back? You choose. Volunteers only. Galatians 2.20 Amplified I have been crucified with Christ. In him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ the Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in 
by adherence to and reliance on and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's about being teachable, changing our minds, repentance, have another thought. You shouldn't be thinking the same things you were thinking last week. You should be being constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind. Being flexible, maintaining a teachable spirit. If you haven't got one, ask for one. Flexibility is an attribute we need to develop if we are to see and enjoy the growth of the kingdom in our lives. If we are rigid, we will break. If we are flexible, we will bend with the wind of the Holy Spirit. We will be pliable in his hands. His work in us and with us will be a pleasure both for him and for us, even if it is difficult at times. It is possible to kiss the hand that hurts. There's a though and a yet in difficult situations. Though all these things are true, yet will I trust him. That's when you grow. Don't just go through your circumstances, grow through them. If you can't have revelation at the time, have retrospective revelation about what was happening. Make sure that you use your tests and trials. Exchange our weakness for his strength. He steps into our place of weakness and becomes our strength. If he steps out again, we are weak. He does not strengthen us. Never ask him to strengthen you. He becomes our strength in every situation. Be my strength, Father. 2 Corinthians 12.10, New American Standard Bible. Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm constantly being asked for wisdom in various situations and often I really barely understand the problem or the question. And when I'm responding, I don't listen to the problem or question. I listen to the Lord. I hear the person. Don't get me wrong. But I don't have to bring the answer. It's not my business. My business is to open my heart to hear him and then respond accordingly. I always have to allow my mind to be bypassed in order to hear God's heart. Take away that exchange, his strength for my weakness, his wisdom for my common sense, and all you've got is my opinion, which is not worth crossing the road to hear, believe me. Don't ever ask me for my opinion. You don't want it. You want wisdom from God. And it's all grace. This is Joyce Mayer. Very few of my children really trust or depend on me. It's a prophecy that God gave her. I have mountains, endless mountains of grace stored up that I've never touched because I find so very few who will open up their hearts through faith to receive my grace. Do you really want to know what grace is? Well, listen, and I'll give you a new and different definition of what is the grace of God. Grace is you letting me do what I want to do in this earth through you. It requires you being absolutely still, mentally and physically still immovable in your decision to wait upon me for the desired results, the ideas, the hopes. The dreams that are in inside of you are not yours, they originated in me. That is in my spirit within you. It's not your job to bring them to pass. It's your job to be a vessel or channel for my grace. Not one of you can make anything happen that will be solid enough to make anything happen. This is the reason you experience many ups and downs. You are trying to stand on the flimsiness of your flesh rather than on the solidness of the rock. Are you standing on the flimsiness of the flesh or on the solidness of the rock? You do all right till the storm hits, then you're right back where you started. You need to be emptied of human effort the cares of daily living and fleshly frustrations. But you see, even this must be done by my grace. 
Effort cannot eradicate effort. Frustration cannot get rid of frustration. And care cannot eliminate care. But grace can rid you of every hindrance. And you will find that as more grace begins to flow, it will generate more grace and more grace and more and more grace until you have become that channel of my grace. There will be never-ending flow of power. And the result will be that my hopes and dreams and ideas will be birthed through you at no cost to you, with no carnal effort on your part. And I will be glorified on this earth and you, you will have the privilege and honour of sharing in it and of being a joint heir in that glory. My grace is available. Come unto me, all you that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And here's a poem. I think she wrote this. I want you to face the mountain so you can see when the mountain is out of the way all there is left is me. Only I can move the mountain. Only I can push it away. Only I can face the problems you face today. Your only job is to believe, to listen to my voice and when you hear what I command obedience is your choice. But I'll not make it too difficult, for the victory's already mine, and I will fill you through my spirit. Through you, my grace will shine. Not when you're perfect, like you think you ought to be, but when your heart is willing to become more and more like me. That was a quote, all of it, from Joyce Mayer in her series on Grace, Grace and More Grace. So letting his kingdom come, it's clear, is about internal displacement, getting rid of the stuff you don't want or need and replacing it, filling your internal well of anointing with the Holy Spirit and the Word. Kingdom living is about positioning ourselves correctly to hear what he's saying and responding in the affirmative when we hear. You can't say no and Lord in the same sentence. Beloved, do not be distracted or deflected from your God-given destiny and purpose. Acts 21, 1-14 in the New King James Version Now it came to pass that when we departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Koz, the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we'd sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we'd taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when we finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemy, greeted the brethren, and stayed there with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea, and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. As we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he'd come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The, Lord's, the will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. 
At first, these disciples spoke out of their soul. They were trying to persuade Paul not to go where the Holy Spirit was leading him. They were led by their emotional responses to the thought of losing by the thought of losing Paul. But Paul had a clear vision about what God wanted him to do with his life, and he was ready to give everything up for that vision. Even death was irrelevant to him. When difficult circumstances arise, the advice can be to avoid the circumstance. Take the safe path or a circuitous route round it. It can be about rescue, about being safe, about being careful, because people unconsciously put their own fears on us. Though the advice is well meant, it's still in opposition to the will of God for us, and it's acting against God's purposes for us. When God is asking something difficult of us, we must be especially careful about who we ask and about the advice we receive. Not everything is coming from God, and we're following the, the will of God, not the fears and the caution of men. We're following God, not the fears and caution of man. It may be, beloved, that your own identity is calling you up higher. I tell you it's difficult to stay around those who are not recognizing who you are becoming because they've stopped moving themselves and sometimes we have to kiss them and move on. There are times when the will of God for us will conflict with the permissions of people around us. They will not understand us or the call that God's placed on our lives. This is part of the cost. When we begin to get to grips with the fact that God is present future with us, that he sees us in a totally different way than we see ourselves, that he speaks to what he's seeing and not to what we are seeing, we begin to walk out into something that is a mystery to those around us. You will be misunderstood. We are living in two places at once who we are right now and who we're becoming. We're beginning to live in our emerging personality which will carry more authority than who we are right now. Don't try to make things easy for God. We step into situations under the unction of the Holy Spirit. We trust in God's majesty, we stand in His sovereignty, we're in Christ through the Father partnering with the Holy Spirit.